Well, the game looked to be getting away from the Seahawks late at Lumen Field in their throwback uniforms. They found a way to snatch victory from defeat and move into first place in the NFC West. Dallas Cooper and I are going to be breaking it all down on our latest post-game edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here for our weekly post-game show by my co-host Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s, whether you're listening in Seattle, here nearby Lumen Field, or across the country in Boston, Massachusetts. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks jumped out to a 14-0 lead today in their throwback uniforms against the Cleveland Browns, but late in regulation, it looked like they were going to let that victory slip from their grasp. The Browns had the football closing into the two-minute warning. And then the Seahawks came up with a big defensive play. Julian Love with the interception deflected off of Jamal Adams' helmet, of all things. And the Seahawks ended up scoring in the final minute to win 24-20. to They move into first place in the NFC West at 5-2. and The 49ers losing their third straight game today to the Cincinnati Bengals. So, again, the Seahawks are in first place. And Dallas, this was certainly one of those games where, I guess, inconsistent is probably the best word that you can use to describe Every phase for the Seahawks, they got off to that red-hot start on offense, and then for two-and-a-half-plus quarters, they couldn't really do anything on offense. And on defense, they started hot, but they had some drives in the middle of the game. They struggled, and the Browns were able to take the lead in the second half. And so this is one of those where you think you're lucky stars. You won at the same time. This is a really good team that they found a way to beat, and that's a good victory that gets them into first place. First off, starting out with the throwback uniforms, they were hot. Everything was clicking. The offense was going. Defense was shutting down. And everything looked like it was tailor-made perfectly for the throwback game. And we're going to go back to the 90s and everything's going to be great. And then, as you said, Corbin, for two and a half to three quarters, the offense straight up stalled out. It was a lot of questionable plays, a lot of just miscommunication and miscues that you don't normally see from the Seahawks offense. But we have to admit, this is a great defense in the Browns, especially with that defensive line. And this offensive line performed admirably, admirably, excuse me, today. They did great holding Miles Garrett to one sack and that whole Browns defensive line to just one. So that's the first thing we have to start off, Corbin. And then to end the game, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I'm so happy for him to be able to do that, especially after first couple of games. It looked like he was. there was times he was down on himself. There was miscues that he was making that he felt like, you know, this wasn't something that happened at Ohio State very often for him. And finally, he gets it back on track and gets to get the game winner. So happy for him. Happy for that kid. Yeah, the best part is it was a screen. It was a bubble screen. And they had not one but two successful ones today to Jackson Smith in Jig Bus. So, what is this world that we are living in? The Seahawks are converting big plays on screens on offense. Now, unfortunately, the defense, they were giving up a lot of yardage on screens today. That was the biggest issue they had on defense. But 
Let's look at the offense a little more in depth because everybody's going to be pointing at Geno Smith. And again, had a kind of up and down day. He had two interceptions. There were some brilliant throws. There were a few big misses that he had in this game that were uncharacteristic and very up and down performance. They're still looking for him to put together four quarters. But you look, this really was a tale of three games for Geno Smith. The first three drives, he goes eight for 12, 136 yards. A touchdown was near flawless. And then the middle seven drives. The offense as a whole just couldn't get anything going. A bunch of three and outs, turnovers. He went nine for 20 for 66 yards, two interceptions during that span. And then he bounces back, gets the opportunity to win the game late, goes four for five for 52 yards, has the touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jigba on that final series to give the Seahawks the win. So you have to give him his medal for that, that as rough as things were in the middle quarters and as much as he struggled was uncharacteristically inaccurate has had some issues in recent games with just a couple of boneheaded decisions that have been getting away from him and turning into interceptions that did not stop today, unfortunately, but he was able to come through when the Seahawks needed him to. And speaking of coming up in the clutch, that opportunity wouldn't have happened if not for the Seahawks defense. And this was another game where they were able to hold the opponent down in the second half. Cleveland scored uh, they had 14 points in the first half. They scored in this game six points in the second half. Seattle's given up nine points in the second half total in their past three games. So this has been a defense that has been closing people out. And you look at the way that things finished for this defense today in the fourth quarter. The Browns had the football three times. They got 61 net yards. There were two turnovers, an interception by Julian Love and a turnover on downs to close out the game. And the key thing here, no points allowed by the Seahawks defense on those three possessions. So we continue to see this defense. This was not a perfect game by any means. And you could see the absence of Uchenna Nuosu out there run defense-wise. They allowed the Browns to run the football 40 times. They averaged under four yards per carry, though. So it's not like this was a breakout game where the Seahawks gave up a bunch of explosive plays on the ground. The screen plays were really their biggest issue, but they were able to turn things around in the second half. And the defense kept them in the game, even though the offense couldn't get untracked until that final possession. And they gave Geno Smith that last opportunity, and he capitalized. Absolutely. That's why you brought in Jamal Adams when you traded for him. That's why you brought in a guy this past offseason in Julian Love to give you these opportunities for such an explosive offense that, yes, did stall out. But at the end, Corbin, like you said, was a great job by the offense to finally recoup and go get back to what they're used to doing, scoring touchdowns. And Geno Smith, yes, people are going to say he had a tough game. But honestly, looking at the game plan against a Browns defensive line that as good as it is, 37 dropbacks from Geno Smith, that is a tough ask out of any quarterback in the NFL to go against this defense and just pure drop back 37 times. That is a game plan issue to me. And Shane Waldron needs to make it easier for Geno Smith. There's a lack of easy completions, and it's very evident. When those stalls happen, they don't get the random five-yard gains, the easy pitch-and-catch six yards. Those are few and far in between, and they need to get back to doing that a lot more. Yeah, that really leads into my thought coming out of this game, and I need to watch the All-22 to have a full assessment of this. But 
both your running backs averaged more than five and a half yards per carry today, but they combined had only 13 touches and there was some inconsistency there. Those numbers were skewed by a couple of really big runs. Ken Walker, the third had a 47 yard run on the opening touchdown drive and was really quiet the rest of the game. He had three carries that opening drive. And I think he only had a couple carries the entire rest of the game. So they weren't giving him the football very much. Zach Charbonnet ran the ball really well, but he only had five carries in this game. So Seattle was not able to establish that ground game in terms of getting enough carries for those guys. And so that was something that I was questioning when it looked like the Browns might win this game at the end. And Seattle's defense came up with that big interception near midfield. And then you see Geno Smith just forget about those mistakes he made earlier, drives him down, get that game-winning drive. And again, the Seahawks are now in first place in the NFC West thanks to the Bengals beating the 49ers at 5-2. and two. They are in sole possession for right now leading the division. So certainly a good day. You'll take any win that you can get, but this is still a game where the Seahawks can look back and say, we had plenty of other opportunities to pull away in this game. And they didn't take advantage of those chances, but certainly there's going to be some learning experiences coming out of this game for this team. that's still trying to find a way to put together four quarters, particularly on offense. This was a defensive issue earlier, but the defense is more consistent than the offense right now. And that's the silver lining here. You know, you've got a defense, the Browns, they were giving up under 245 yards per game this year so this is a really good defense Seattle had over 360 yards so they had their turnovers they had their mistakes but there's still a lot of positives there and if you could just clean up those things that have been those turnovers that have been an issue the last couple weeks then this football team still has a chance to be really special on offense still put up 24 points today they were three for four in the red zone so that is another positive development as well a lot to be excited about coming out of this game but most importantly being in first place in the NFC West after eight weeks. Coming up next, we're going to get to our weekly game balls, which players stood out on offense, defense, and special teams. Don't go away. You're listening to the post-game edition of Locked on Seahawks, which is brought your way by our partners over at eBay Motors. eBay Motors has teamed up with Locked on Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Every week, we're going to provide you players that are a guaranteed fit on your roster we're looking towards week nine already. Let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Panthers running back Chuba Hubbard got the lead duties in week eight against the Texans, despite Miles Sanders being available. Although Hubbard struggled to get going in that matchup, he should find more running room back home against the Colts breaking down front. The Panthers' power running should yield better results, but Hubbard can also have an impact in the passing game to deliver all around as a fantasy sleeper. Vinny Iyer from Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship at eBay Motors. Knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your car or automotive needs. eBay Motors has it, and with eBay's guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. You're listening to the post-game edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for this show by my co-host, Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks getting back in the win column, second straight week, five and two. They're in first place in the NFC West. But this was certainly a game that uh, was in doubt 
late in the fourth quarter, the Cleveland Browns had taken the lead. The offense had been stalled for more than two quarters. It looked like the Seahawks were going to get handed the defeat in their throwback uniforms, and yet they found a way in the final couple minutes getting an interception from Julian Love and then Geno Smith coordinating the game-winning drive, hooking up with Jackson Smith in Jigba for a nine-yard touchdown. So Seattle escapes with the victory that, quite frankly, looked to be getting away from them after a fast start today. Let's get to our game balls. Let's start on offense. 24 points, not a bad performance necessarily by the Seahawks, especially considering the opponent that they were playing against, a Browns defense that ranked first in yardage allowed in the NFL coming into this game, a fierce pass rush. Dallas, who gets your game ball today on the offensive side of the football? But I said it earlier, and I gave a little tidbit to it. But, Corby, we talked about this before the show, but the offensive line, you got Miles Garrett, all these pass rushers, Darius Smith. These are guys that are great pass rushers and have tormented offensive lines throughout the beginning of the season. And now – the Seahawks offensive line allowed just one sack and three quarterback hits. And we have to acknowledge a lot of that is due to Geno Smith being absolutely amazing when it comes to managing the pocket when stuff is breaking down. He was absolutely magnificent today at that. But the offensive line gave him the chances that the offense needed. You, you wouldn't have expected this much of a great performance from an offensive line that is dealing with injuries as much as this. Heck, they had Jason Peters out there playing, and he gave quality snaps. This was a great, great game by the offensive line. I can't say enough how tremendous they did. Yeah, we normally reserve game balls for an individual player, but I think you've got to, on offense, you've got to give all the credit in the world to that offensive line because you had two right tackles that were rotating. Stone Forsythe started the game. He wasn't injured, but they put Jason Peters in for some snaps. He played a handful of drives in this game, and both of them did a really good job. And it was crazy because Miles Garrett, I felt like he wasn't even on the field in the first half. I don't remember his name being called. Now, he did get the only sack the Browns had late in this game, and at that point, it seemed like that might be a backbreaker for the Seahawks because their offense had struggled so much. The defense looked gassed that seemed like a play that was maybe the the dagger in the coffin so to speak and the Seahawks are going to be in trouble late but that was the only sack they had they as you mentioned they had three quarterback hits and I want to talk about the run blocking too it was a little more inconsistent in this game but especially late when Zach Charbonnet broke a 21-yard run they had a couple other nice runs from Ken Walker and Charbonnet this offensive line really continues to surprise me in the run game department. They were much better off with Evan Brown in its center today. He brings more of that physical presence than what Olu Timmy does, at least right now. And so you could see them winning the line of scrimmage. They were creating creases. That 47-yard run for Ken Walker the third. Anthony Bradford had the key block that allowed him to cut back into that crease and then take off to the second and third level. So I feel like this offensive line, you got to give them all the credit in the world. I thought Charles Cross had a fantastic game. Again, didn't even feel like Miles Garrett was on the field in the first half, which I didn't expect to be saying that coming out of this football game. But uh, nonetheless, that that was a really good performance by the entire offensive line. And to be able to rotate guys the way they are, that is a big deal as well for the Seahawks. So I think that this is something we're in agreement on. I think this is a game ball for the entire offensive line. They did a fantastic job protecting Geno and opening up the run game. Now on the defensive side, this one was actually a little tougher for me because you had a couple players that really stepped up that I think were worthy of winning the game ball this week. Who is your selection and why? There was multiple guys in this um, 
game that I really thought they could be game ball winners for the defense. The defense did step up. Yes, there was times where the Browns did score at one point 17 unanswered points, but there was still great plays from my game ball winner, Jordan Brooks. Force fumble, one sack, two quarterback hits, 10 tackles. We're talking about a stat sheet stuffer here. And even though there's times where he had multiple missed plays on the screen passes, heck, the whole defense missed those plays on those screen passes. It was very evident that the screen game for the Browns was devastating. It was going to come in and do damage. But other than that, Jordan Brooks had a magnificent game, whether rushing the passer in coverage, stopping the run game. He is etching himself in that upper tier of Mike linebackers in the NFL. There's no question about it at this point. He's top 10. He's maybe even creeping up to top five. He has played at an all-pro level once again this season. Yeah, the last couple of weeks, there's no denying that he's been playing at that kind of a level, the way that he's flying around the field. And again, I got to watch the All-22, but it didn't feel like he was necessarily one of the players that really was getting burned on those screens. They were getting caught in some looks. You got to give the Browns credit. They did a great job of scheming those screens in when they were going against certain pressure looks where the Seahawks just didn't have the right play call out there to be able to defend it. So sometimes you are going to get beat, and that's the way that that went down today with the screens. But Brooks was all over the place. And I think the biggest difference for him, coming off that ACL injury too, you're seeing the blitzing ability. And I felt like early in his career, the first couple of years, that was something that the Seahawks didn't do a lot of that I thought he was pretty good at. And we've seen more of it this year. They are sending him and Bobby Wagner a lot more. And he had that pivotal forced fumble on the sack in the first quarter that set up Seattle's second touchdown. Geno Smith hitting Tyler Lockett on a 12-yarder in the back left-hand corner of the end zone. They were given the football, gifted the football in Brown's territory because of that forced fumble and that strip sack that boy Mafe ended up recovering. That was another player that I strongly considered for this for a second week in a row. Four quarterback hits in the sack. He was fantastic once again, but Jordan Brooks was all over the field. I think from start to finish had another phenomenal game. Now, special teams, I was joking with a few guys in the press box about this, and this is not a bad thing. I didn't think that special teams was near as bad as what it was last week against the Cardinals, but it was kind of one of those games for both sides where, yeah, the special teams, they were out there. They played. There weren't any plays that really jumped out that were spectacular, other than the fact that I thought Michael Dixon had a pretty strong day. There were a couple of booming punts from him. There was one that when he's really on his game, he looks like he's barely kicking the ball and it goes 60 yards. It explodes off his leg. He had a couple of those kicks today, two punts inside the 20. You expect that from Michael Dixon. So it was just another day at the office, but on a day where there weren't any major big hits on special teams, Jarek Reed had a nice hit to open the game, but there weren't any like signature plays. There weren't any turnovers created. Jason Myers did what he needed to do, had just a solid day at the office. It was a lot of just solid play on special teams. So Michael Dixon is my game ball winner in the third phase. I would have to agree with you. He had some booming punts today. And especially in a game that comes up this close at the end, those field position changes matter. And this is a weapon. When the offense is stalling out for two and a half, three quarters, and it sucks. But you have a punter that can come over here, change the field position, and give your defense an advantage to start their possession, which then could lead into the offense potentially having an advantage when they force the three and out due to field position. Dixon is absolutely a game changer, Corbin, and I would agree with you that he has to win the game ball for this game.
Let's shift gears now from our game balls to the three up, three down. Coming out of a win, you always have a lot of players that have positives, but this was a game where it did feel like the Seahawks had plenty of struggles as well. So we've got candidates for both lists here on our weekly stock watch. And starting with our three up, the players that really shined in this football game. On the offensive side of the football, Ken Walker III had a good game, but this was really the first game where I felt like Zach Charbonnet somewhat got established. I'd still like to see more carries from him, but five carries for 53 yards. He had a big 21-yard run in the fourth quarter. You could see the elusiveness. You can see the power. He is a downhill waste no time style running back and it's really fun to watch he does have a complimentary skill set to ken walker the third and he had a couple nice blitz pickups in this game as well he has really secured that third down back job for the seahawks with dj dallas just primarily playing on special teams he has earned that role but you could see everything that he brings to the table as a runner today with over 10 yards per carry, he was running the ball really hard. I'd like to see more emphasis on getting him the football, but again, that happened with the entire run game today. Just 13 carries for their running backs. They got beat by 13 minutes for time of possession today, and that was a big part of it is they just didn't get enough carries for their running backs. A lot of three and outs, they'd have a run on first down, and then they went away from the ground game completely, and then they have to punt quickly. So I'd like to see these guys get the football more, but I thought Charbonnet with the limited snaps he had today both in pass protection and running the football you get to see why the seahawks invested a second round pick in him absolutely charbonnet as you said is a perfect runoff of ken walker you got thunder and lightning and they both played great and he had the longest rushes of his career today so it was a great game for the rookie but another person for my three up would be tyler lockett again once again the veteran comes in and makes spectacular plays 10 catches, 88 yards, shows why he's always been there and is the key guy for Geno Smith. DK Metcalf had a sort of off day, but Lockett was there to save the day when it comes to the wide receiving core, in addition with Jackson Smith and the Jigbo. Yeah, he might not be getting the splashy downfield plays that we've seen from him throughout his career, but he's just so darn good at running those short to intermediate routes and being crafty with his route running getting defenders put on ice skates. He did that multiple times today, and he had another catch that would have had a first down, but it was taken away by a penalty on the offensive line. So he was fantastic today, a nice bounce-back game for him. Even though he's missed some practice time with a hamstring injury, he is still one of the very best in terms of consistency, being reliable. On defense, for me, I got to go with Julian Love. He was my second pick for the defensive game ball. Only had three tackles, but it felt like he was really active today when he was in the game. And of course, he had the critical turnover in this football game. Just before the two-minute warning, Jamal Adams had the football bounce off of his helmet. And he said he was inspired by Messi today after the uh, press conference. But uh, the ball bounced off his helmet and it felt like it was in the air for an eternity. And then finally, Julian Love gets underneath the ball, gets the interception at the 41-yard line. So they're almost at midfield. Perfect job setting up shop for Geno Smith to be able to go execute that game-winning drive, eventually hit Jackson Smith and Jigba. I feel like Julian Love has rebounded. Early in the year, he looked like a player that was trying to get his feet underneath him in a new system, playing with new teammates. But we're starting to see him be more active. He's making more tackles. He's not leaving as many tackles on the field. And now getting his hands on the football in a clutch moment. Got to give him kudos. That three-safety look is really starting to be a difference maker, like the Seahawks envision it being with all three of these players healthy. 
Absolutely. Julian Love comes in and brings kind of a mixture of what Diggs and Adams bring. He's kind of the perfect medium. And as you said, it took him some time to kind of settle his feet into this defense. Was struggling earlier in the season. But, man, what a great game. And perfect time, right? Throwback uniforms. And he gets the game ceiling interception in order to set up the game-winning drive. Great play by Julian Love, and he had a great game for that. Yeah, he was not the only player in the secondary that was impressive, too. It was nice to finally see Reek Woolen get an interception, though he should have had two. He had a second one that was right in his breadbasket at the end of the game, and he dropped it. So I guess maybe that's why he was a receiver converted to corner at UTSA. But we've seen him catch a lot of footballs. Tied for the league league intersection interceptions last year. Had the pick today. It was an overthrow by P.J. Walker. There was some pressure in his face, and the Browns were driving. They had a chance to get at least three points on that drive, but the throw was airmailed. Woolen was there, dove to the ground, kept it from hitting the turf, picked it off, and then the Seahawks ended up getting possession. Didn't do anything off that turnover, but he also had a tackle for loss. He had another pass breakup. Like I said, it should have been an interception number two. Teams are throwing at him more right now because we've seen what Devin Witherspoon has done. Witherspoon had a quiet day statistically, but part of it's because the Browns had absolutely no interest in testing him at all. They they didn't even throw his way other than one play that he got kind of a tic-tac penalty. But that is opening up more chances for Reek Woolen, and that more throws your way, you're going to give up more plays, but you also have a lot more chances to make interceptions. And he's had a few close calls recently. It was nice seeing him be able to finally get that first interception this season, get that monkey off his back a little bit. And even though there were some questionable penalties called against him in this game, he was able to stay with his head on a swivel, kept even keeled, and came back and made some big plays down the stretch for the Seahawks to win this football game. As we talk about every game, there's always going to be a few players that, whether it's just statistics or missed opportunities, there's always a few players they are going to be looking towards next week wanting to play better. So looking at our three down, who's not hot coming out of this game? Who jumps out first to you on this list, Dallas? I'm going to have to go with the star wide receiver, DK Metcalf. And first reason being, statistically, let's just go, five receptions on 14 targets. That is not a good stat line, and that's not what you want if you were looking for a QB wide receiver connection. He had a tough time getting open. There was splash plays involved. However, on a consistent snap-to-snap basis, looking at DK Metcalf, There was no separation from Brown's corners. And frankly put, there was a reason Geno Smith kept missing him. It was a lot of difficult opportunities for him because of the lack of separation. Great game from the Brown's corners, but DK Metcalf definitely had a tough game today. For me, this is really a split between Geno and DK because I think that Geno certainly missed some throws today. There were some questionable decisions. Even that last game-winning drive, the one incompletion he had was a throw that he shouldn't have made. He ended up having the throw bounce off the back of a Browns corner, trying to squeeze the ball to guess who DK Metcalf. That is not even close to the efficiency that you're wanting from your quarterback with your star receiver. But to me, this is a two way street DK Metcalf. There were several plays where it just felt like I didn't necessarily see him battle for the ball the way that I want to see him do. There were a few bad missed throws by Geno too. He had a slant late in the game that DK Metcalf was wide open. He skipped it off the ground. So again, this is a two-way street. I think Geno Smith, the game-winning drive gives him a little bit of a reprieve, but 
this was a game where you just missed some throws and made some decisions again that you can't make as a franchise quarterback. So you keep hoping he's going to be able to have one of those games where everything gets put together. He still had a strong performance in some regards at the same time. Expectations are much higher because of how you played last year. And so you continue to make these mistakes, commit key turnovers and questionable decisions with football. Those are things that are going to be magnified now because of those heightened expectations. So even though he has come through in the clutch and a few times like today, won the game on a game winning drive, you got to look at this as a situation where expectations are higher. People expect him to play much better. So both those players, I think coming out of this game, they're going to be looking back at the film and saying, man, we missed some key opportunities and they're going to want to play better in this upcoming game at Baltimore. You better bring your A game against that Raven squad. As far as on the defensive side of the football, I had two players that jumped out to me, but the first one is Derek Hall. And this one is more about what you didn't do than what you did. And it was a really quiet game for him. They are going to need him to pick up a lot of the slack. There might not be a player on this roster right now, Dallas, that has more pressure on him with this injury to try to elevate his game. And he's now midway through his rookie season. There were a couple run plays where he was completely out of position, setting contained. The Browns took advantage of it a few times. P.J. Walker snuck outside scrambling, and he was able to do that because that contain was lost. And so they need more from him. He's got to play more sound with his responsibilities against the run, and they need him to get involved in chasing the quarterback. No QB hits today. He's a player. You can give Frank Clark a little bit of an excuse today because he came in a few days ago, even though he's a veteran. But Derek Hall's been here. You expect that he's going to keep showing growth. There have been flash plays early in the season. I thought this was a game that maybe we might see him have a few of those big plays. And really, it was a quiet day with a few big mistakes against the run. You know, it's a tough game for the rookie. And as you said, there's probably no player on this roster with higher pressure due to the Nuosu injury. This is the guy that's expected to step up and take the role. Daryl Taylor, yes, you would say he's older. He's a, more of a veteran. But in terms of archetypes of edge rushers, there's no other body in the Seahawks edge room that I feel can really replicate Nuosu's explosiveness and strength. And Paul is that rare architect where he can. Unfortunately, today he had a tough game, and I would say it's a, a lot of it was rookie moments. It was losing contain, as you said, mental errors in the run game, getting washed down, not playing with sound base. Those are things that are going to fix itself over time. So the future's still looking good for Hall. So I'm not too discouraged by today's game, although it was a tough one. I want to close out one other player that I have on my list, and you and I talked about this guy a lot uh, leading up to this game. In fact, he was my offensive pick to click on Friday's episode. And I know that the Browns have struggled or have been really good against tight ends. Tight ends have struggled against their defense. But I just had a feeling with the weapon Seattle has, the tight ends might get involved. And Noah Fant had a huge catch late in the game. So the tight ends, there at least was some contribution there with Noah Fant with that big play. But I thought Will Disley was going to be able to pitch in. And I don't even know that this is his fault. He had no catches today, one penalty. He had a couple of nice blocks in the run game, but I just keep waiting for him to get re-involved with the offense. And ever since he missed a game with an injury, it just seems like they have not been able to get him back involved. And 
they were having success early in the year when they were dumping the ball off to him. And he was creating after the catch. So I don't know that this is all on him. I wonder about some schematic things, but it just seems like he now is not really part of the offense other than coming into block. We haven't seen him get involved in the passing game at all for several weeks. So I have to have him on my three down list. Again, I don't know if it's all on him, but with the money that they are paying him, you need to find a way to get some contributions in the passing game like you did early in the season from him to justify the contract that he's got. So they've got to find a way to get Will Disley going. And quite frankly, Colby Parkinson had a quiet day too. So this defense has been great against tight ends. I just thought there's a matchup though with the receivers they have that some of these guys would step up, especially Disley, seeing him go for an over again. It's a little bit disheartening when you consider what he has done when the Seahawks have gotten him involved in the passing game. Yeah, Uncle Will, he's always been a guy that's been consistent in the passing game, as you said. But today, getting an offer, yes, these Browns linebackers and safeties are excellent in coverage. But as we were talking about earlier, due to the new scheme and what Waldron's been doing, it seems like there's moments and times throughout the season, like players just get lost in the scheme. At first, it was Jackson Smith and the Jigba and having a hard time finding him within the offense. And then now it seems like the tight ends, and as weirdly as this would have been to say earlier in the season, the running backs felt lost in the scheme today, as we were talking about. We need to get them more involved. And it's important because the Browns were keying in on Metcalf. 14 targets, five catches. That's not going to do it. So Uncle Will... Will Disley, I could definitely expect him to get more involved in the future if Shane Waldron wants any sort of success for the Seahawks. Yeah, they've just got to find a way to get back to where they're really humming and they are distributing the football to all their receivers and their tight ends. And it just seems like that hasn't necessarily been the case the last few games. I thought we might see a little bit more of that in this game, and it didn't come to fruition. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Dallas at Dallas C. Cooper. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang. The two of us will dish out our Victory Monday musings in depth takeaways coming out of Seattle's win over the Cleveland Browns. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Go Hawks.